Blog Talk Radio. Hello and good evening, everybody. Welcome to Violet Reiki Radio. I would like to thank the founders of the Seika Network for giving me this wonderful opportunity to bring this show to the public where we will be talking about Reiki and all things surrounding Reiki, its discovery, roots, practice, and more. We talk about energy, energy healing, We also speak about um, a lot of metaphysical interests that uh, the founder of Reiki, Mikao Usui, was very much interested in. We've had people from the world of martial arts, and um, we have, uh, oh God, we've had people who, uh, we've had astrologers, we've had psychics, we've had uh, people who do other healing methods other than Reiki, energy healing, um, so many different things. And um, it's just, you know, very interesting and fun. Reiki is universal life force energy. It is an intelligent energy of love and wholeness. It understands the cause of problems and what healing is necessary. Reiki energy has a wisdom of its own, healing and balancing all aspects of a person's mind, body, emotions, and spirit. Reiki is a blessing, an instantaneously conferred sacred potential for healing, protection, personal, and spiritual development. For more information about Reiki, feel free to visit my website, which is violetrosereiki.com, or you can send me an email to rose, at violetrosereiki.com, and I'd be happy to answer you. You can find me on Facebook under Violet Rose. You can also find me on Twitter. Uh, Oh, God, Twitter, LinkedIn, Tumblr, uh, Pinterest, any social media. Just type in Violet Rose or Violet Rose Reiki, and trust me, you'll find me. (laughs) Um, also on Facebook I have a page which is called Reiki Ward which was formed to provide distance Reiki healing for free for humans and animals alike all over the world so Reiki Ward facilitates global distance healing for free for anyone who requests it so you just go to the uh, page In Facebook, you can search Reiki Ward page, and you post your healing request for you, a relative, a friend, your pet, somebody's pet, any animal, you know, um, and we will get on it ASAP. Um, The Reiki Ward does at least two to three rounds of healing every day at a minimum, 
And we also then place these requests on our healing crystal grid for 24-7 energy work and healing. And this year, 2016, I'm really happy to say Reiki Ward will have its fifth anniversary. We will be providing this Reiki Ward service for five years now. And as they say, time flies when you're having fun. And if you're a Reiki practitioner, as I am, you'll know what I'm talking about because Reiki is fun. So um, if you have any questions, like I said, email me, rosadrylatrosereiki.com, and pass by Reiki Ward if you need healing, if someone you know needs healing, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, just put in the request and we'll jump on it. Um, this evening, my guest is Lisa Wolfson. And Lisa is a registered metaphysical practitioner, Reiki master teacher, certified Reiki uh, medical Reiki master teacher, ordained all-faith minister. She is a certified crystal healer, end-of-life doula, workshop facilitator, holistic health coach, and she's the founder of the annual Ladies' Day event. Uh, she's also a member of the Long Island Reiki Connection. And she has a lifetime accreditation from the World Metaphysical Association International Accreditation Board. Lisa is a breast cancer survivor who dedicates her time to spiritual and holistic growth, helping other survivors and all people to reach optimal health and well-being. Using her vast knowledge and experience, she guides her students in Reiki training and advancement works with clients on a regular basis, and organizes workshops for holistic, psychic, and spiritual growth, and is, pu is a published author on various related subjects. Six years ago, she hosted the first Ladies' Day event to honor the remarkable woman in her life, and an event which has blossomed into an annual event of 40-plus women and growing. She is an excellent organizer of fundraisers and is a strong proponent of giving back. Lisa administered Reiki in pre-op, the operating room, and recovery room at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital during robotic surgery. This was the first time ever that Reiki was performed in this setting. She also did the same during breast cancer surgery at Wild Cornell Medical Center a first there as well. And uh, those of you who listen regularly, you will realize or you will uh, note that Lisa is now the third part of the Trinity, <laughs> the healing Trinity, because last year on the show, I had Dr. Sheldon Feldman, who is the chief surgeon at the breast cancer department over at Columbia Presbyterian. And then I had Raven Keys, Reiki Masters, medical Reiki Master, who works with, uh, who has worked with Dr. Feldman, and uh, I know she's working with another doctor now as well. But we had Raven on the show as well. And um, in August of 2014, I had the honor of taking my medical Reiki a master certification with Raven, and Lisa was in that class as well. So Lisa is the the third component of the uh, I don't know what to call it the the medical Reiki master, the Columbia Presbyterian Reiki master group here. So it's a good it's a good sign. Just want to point out before we bring Lisa on the show, because I know we're in a Mercury retrograde, and I know a lot of people are like, you know, losing their minds over this. Just the words Mercury retrograde throw them into a tailspin. However, Mercury retrograde, here's the real deal on Mercury retrograde, and these are my these are my commandments for what to do in a Mercury retrograde. First, don't lose your mind. What you do is you take some me time. Take time for yourself. Embrace change. 
rest. Get the rest you so very much need. Collect information. You know, you're not supposed to really start anything new in a Mercury retrograde, but it's fine to collect information and call and organize and get stuff together. Utilize this time well. Review. Yield to the universe. Go with the flow. Read. Reflect. Entertain new ideas, new concepts. Tolerate and accept or practice tolerating and accepting. Open your mind and heart. Generate ideas. Reunite. And that's happening a lot now. I've had uh, at least three people call me out of the blue. It's like, hi, do you remember me? I'm like, okay. A lot of reuniting going on. Allow manifestation. Don't rush. Whatever you do, don't rush. And end that which no longer serves you. Just end it. Stop it. Get rid of it. Okay? So, now that I've chatted on forever, let's bring Lisa on. Good evening, Lisa. Hi, Rose. Good evening, everybody. Happy New Year. Hi. Happy New Year. So nice to have you on the show. Thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Now we can commence with the brain picking. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. No, no. Um, okay, so my very first question to all my guests, and, and especially, you know, to you, is um, what was that thing from the inquirer? Inquiring wise want to know. How did you come to Reiki? How did I come to Reiki? Or how did Reiki draw you in? I think would be the better. <laughs> Because yeah. it does that. You know, we don't go to it. It comes and grabs us. You know, so. Oh, it definitely does. It finds us. That is true. Yeah. I'm a breast cancer survivor. And um, my mother also had breast cancer. Not as fortunate. She did pass away. And I've always been on a path, a holistic path, searching for different things and working on myself and in different ways. But when I was diagnosed with my breast cancer, I started working in a women's wellness center. And I rapidly found myself directing the program. And one of the um, practitioner volunteer categories that um, came into the wellness center was Reiki. We had Reiki practitioners. And I was one of the first people to work with one of the Reiki masters at the center and then shortly after that, we offered a class in Reiki, raising some money for the center, and I took Reiki Level 1. I was curious. I had had Reiki done on me. I had seen the effects on some of the women at the wellness center, and I took the Reiki training. I took Reiki 1, and I knew it resonated with me, wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it, didn't have a strong connection. It is very, I think, very important to connect between the student and the teacher and one of the people that I took Reiki with one of the other students went on to study with Raven and I um, engaged Raven and started my path to study with Raven I took Reiki 1 again and Reiki 2 and went on to master level and then teacher and my path um, just took off from there but as you said the Reiki does find you I knew very early on that this was my passion. I've tried many, many things. I've learned very a lot of things. I have vast knowledge on so many things, but the Reiki is really the core. The Reiki is the passion. When Reiki gets you, you know it, and you know that that's your path, and that's really how mine took off. So from, from a cancer journey, something really wonderful came, and that is Reiki and all that it brought into my life. Yeah, I have a friend who his his saying always is, out of good comes evil and out of evil comes good. And actually, it should be, I guess, out of bad. I don't know, you know, evil is such a good word. But yeah. um, he always says, you know, sometimes people think, oh, my God, you know, this is this is this or this is not good. Why is this happening to me? And then out of that, you know, like a, a, a lotus coming out of the mud. It's like, yeah, it's all muddy and, you know, cruddy, but... Look at the beautiful flower that comes from it. So 
Yeah. yeah. An awakening. Something good comes out of the journey, something that you can take and use, obviously, for yourself and to help other people. And I believe that that's what Reiki has been for me, definitely. Right. Yeah, and I, um, you said about uh, in the beginning about the bond between the uh, teacher and the student. Yeah. I uh, very much am a proponent to sticking to the oldest Sui way of Reiki attunements must be done in person and the student must be in the same physical location as the teacher. None of this online quickie course to become a Reiki master over the weekend. <laughs> no. no. Well, we, we yeah. had a little bit of a discussion on that, and I while I've never done any kind of Reiki training online or received a tumen online, so I can attest for or against it, is from my personal um, belief, I don't think that that's the way to learn Reiki or to teach Reiki. I think Reiki is a very personal thing. There's definitely a connection. There's a growing. There's a spiritual growth, and there's a transition for people as they go through the levels. I also feel that there's such a personal touch to the attunement and there's such a presence in the mm-hmm. attunement and a reflection mm-hmm. from the attunement that I think people would really miss something not being an in-person to do that. And as you're growing on this path and taking it to other people, it's important to have a mentor, a teacher, someone to look back to and talk to. And you're also missing the experience of, learning and growing with other students by doing it online. There are some courses and things that you can do online, and some of my studies I have. I strongly don't believe that Reiki is one of them. I definitely think it's a growing and a path, and that needs to be done in person, definitely. Right, and uh, I definitely agree with you. I mean, um, you know, it's hard enough for some of my students. They'll come, they'll take the class, and then they say, well, I have nobody to practice on, and, and I tell them, you know, go tell the world that, you know, you're a Reiki practitioner and get as many people as you can, and if you can't practice, then get over here, and yeah. during the Reiki circles, you know, you'll get to practice, and, um, yeah, because there's nothing like hands-on um, and teacher-to-student in-person instruction, you know? Exactly. So, uh, yeah. And there is no uh-huh. way when you're doing these online courses for the teacher to observe because sometimes the student can think that they're doing something correctly or they're understanding, but without someone being able to observe and help and guide them, they're missing a valuable piece of the training. Right. Like sometimes if I have just one student and, you know, the person really wants to take the level, they don't want to wait till the next class or what have you, um, I go around looking. I go around looking for volunteers because someone said to me, "Well, why don't you have the student do Reiki on you?" I said, "It's going to be very difficult for me to have the student doing the Reiki on me and me observe that student. So I'd rather, you know, give someone a free session and and observe as the yeah. student is doing the, you know, the treatment." Yeah. So um, I'm also interested. And well, I know you're a certified crystal healer, so you're, and I know you're a crystal lover. So <laughs> we have that in common. Oh yeah, our many, our many posts on crystals. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're like kids. They're like friends. They're, they're such beautiful beings, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you use you use crystals in your Reiki treatment, yes or no? I do. I do. I use okay. crystals in my Reiki treatment as long as the clients are comfortable with it. And I've never really, I've never really encountered a situation where someone wasn't. But the crystals are very helpful. They're helpful to get people to relax. They're helpful to work in certain areas of the body. They also aid in conversation with the client. And sometimes it's it's valuable to give the client a crystal or something to go home with, to work with a certain area of their body or something to take with them you know, in their pocketbook or on their on their being or put under their pillow at night and they know that it's helping them. So the crystals really do help during the Reiki. They definitely do. And the crystals help a lot with younger people as well because it's something they more easily relate to and can, you know, understand and get into and and, and do a little research on and work with. The crystals are also wonderful, by the way, not to digress, but the crystals are wonderful with pets. As long as you're you're sure that you're using a crystal or something of 
size that your pet won't be trying to ingest it and you're and you you're vigilant the crystals are wonderful with pets the crystals work very well because it's a non-invasive more low-key energy and sometimes some of the pets that are really not comfortable with the reiki you will find will be even more so comfortable with the crystals Oh yeah, definitely. And and I find that animals really respond so quickly to the Reiki yeah. energy that oh, yeah. uh it would be great. Yeah, the crystals do work well. well we I both have a cat have, who we thinks, both have cats and we I was just going to say that and we know how the cats <laughs> are with the Reiki, with the Reiki and the crystals. And there is definitely yeah. a difference with the Reiki between cats and dogs. I definitely see that. Dogs, there certain areas of their body, they're not so comfortable with the Reiki energy, but cats love it. Cats are very, very much Reiki lovers that we both know. Well, I guess it's on the table them. right now. Uh, <laughs> she had her dinner before the show, and then she, she came here, and then, okay, I'll, I'll be in the treatment room if you need me. Yeah, she just wants to be in the energy, and if you and in the process, you give her some reiki, all the better. Yeah, yeah, suck it up. But (laughs) um, question for you: Sure. What tools do you feel someone needs to be a good and and um, you know well-rounded reiki practitioner? Um, I. I think it's very important to be a good listener. First of all, there's, um, when I did my end of doula training, we learned about active listening, and I think it's very important to be able to listen to people, to really make a connection with the client and for your clients to know that you're listening, you're taking in what they're saying, you want to help, but also in a non-judgmental way. It's very easy when you're talking to someone to want to say, I would just do this or why don't you just do that? And you have to be very careful to step back and give advice when you can. But in more so, I think what what people mostly need is someone to listen. And then when you really can make a good assessment, then offer something. And we, we don't know people in five minutes of conversation. We don't really get to know people in one session. So it's really important to be an active listener. Most of the time people need someone really to listen and then to know when to offer advice or any kind of counseling and also to do it in a non-judgmental way. I also think it's important to stay current, to read, to see what's going on in in the holistic community, to see different ways that you can help, to see other things that you may be able to bring into your practice and help your clients. I think it's important to take notes. I always stress to my students to journal, but it's really important, again, going back to the listening, that if your client tells you something, that you remember it. So in a future session, you're not asking the client, saying, you know, I feel something over here. Do you you experience pain here and they turn around and say, well, yes, I told you I had a car accident six months ago. Stuff like that, you have to really, you really have to take notes. You have to remember, you have to be present. I think those are the main things. And doing your own self-care and self-healing so that you can be calm and present and work with, with the clients because it is their time when they're with you. I think those are some of the main things that you have to really incorporate to be a good practitioner and healer. Right, because people people do, you know, I do Reiki, I do psychic readings, and I do counseling, and I find that people really do um, like it when they get a feeling from you that they're not just another number and that you yeah. do know them and that you are giving them a sense of um, connection and respect. Because like you said, if you say to a person, so like you have this over here and like, why are you here? And, and they're thinking, well, I told her this when I was in, you know, right. it, it shows a disconnect. So when you show them that connection, 
that you you are they are important to you that you do truly care about them as a human being as a person you know and yeah. and it validates them i think that's uh that's definitely very important yeah and demonstrating to your clients that you do do the things that you would suggest of someone else. When And when someone comes into your home, you want them, or into your office, wherever you're practicing, you want them to see that you're calm, that you're ready, that you're prepared, that you, that you were preparing for their time, that you're respecting, you know, their time, and that you're that you value them as a client, as a person. And I think those are some of the main things that you need to incorporate in your practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had somebody call me the other day and left me a voicemail, and she said, uh, this is a long-time client of mine, and she's going through a lot of stuff right now that has a very wound up and tense and crazy. And she said to me, my God. You sound so Zen-like. Are you on Xanax? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm on Reiki. I mean, I thought that was so funny. You sound so Zen. Are you on Xanax? (laughs) But that's wonderful because if she had called you and you sounded frazzled, or it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been inviting to the person, and it wouldn't have built confidence for the person in you. So those things are important. They're really important. Yeah, yeah. I've had clients walk in, certain clients that I know, and they're like so nervous. It's like, oh my god, oh my god. And the first thing I do is I drop two crystals in their hands and say, here, hold on to these. Yes. <laughs> and then the crystals start to work through. You know, it's kind of like ironing out the wrinkles, and, and we yeah. get them on the table. And yeah. <laughs> nothing um, that what? nothing that two lipidolite crystals can handle, right? I gotta tell you, I bought these beautiful. Lipidolite, they're wands, but they almost look like cones. They they start out fat and then they get narrowed towards the end to a yeah. point. And slept with those, slept with one of them, you know, on my night table. Oh, it was delicious. <laughs> oh yeah, that's wonderful. That's the only that's the only description I can give you is it was delicious. Generally speaking. I've been doing this for years. I sleep with a blade of kyanite, one on each night table, so that I'm in the middle of the kyanite while I'm sleeping. Oh, that's and then and then at the at the other end, at the foot of the bed on the dresser, there's a quartz, clear quartz. Wow, that's been working for years. But oh, the lipidolite was like, oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. What is your self care practice? What's your I like to say I have a cocktail, but what's your what's your self care practice? Um, for me it's I do breathing exercises, I think more than anything, just to try just keeping myself calm. I work with essential oils a lot, that that and the crystals of course, those are my things. And I do my Reiki self care. And I will honestly say I don't go always through every step of the self-care. I usually go to whatever area of my body that I feel needs it. And most of the time I'll just put my one hand on my heart and give myself some Reiki because I feel like the heart chakra is the center. And if you're balanced there and you're calm there, everything else will fall into place. So that's mainly mine. Those are my self-care things. I try to take a little time for myself to do the stuff that I enjoy. And even if I don't get a chance to do self-care or meditating in a more structured way, I'll come in my Reiki room and just lay on the table for a few minutes. My newest toy is I have a biomat, and I'll come in, in the room, turn that on, heat up the table, and sometimes just lay there. Just to I'm be coming team, to your house. Just to be calm. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you're welcome. Sure. Please but just throw me on the table. Yeah, just anything to to keep myself calm and just clearing. I think those are the main things that I try to do. I try to do it with structure, but it doesn't always turn out that way. But as long as I know I'm taking a few minutes for myself, and when I feel things, you know, mounting or getting stressful, I know I have to just pull back a little, take a little time for myself, regroup, and then face the world again. And I think those are the main things that I do. Yeah, it's the, um, 
healers and the service people of the world who really are the biggest offenders when it yeah. comes to taking time for self. It's like we're always running around, you know, I got to do this, I got to heal that one, okay, and, and just, oh, yeah, I'll get to me, I'll get to me later, 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 and then what happens is you don't get to yourself if you really yeah. don't make it a point, and that can go on for days, weeks, you know, so... Yeah, I try and remind everyone, uh, take time for yourself. Like even with meditation, um, when I talk to my students and, and people in general, I say, look, you don't have to sit cross-legged on the floor on a mat and, and you know, all these mudras and for an hour. And, you know, if you have time, fine. But bottom line is if you can get up in the morning and if you can do five minutes of meditation and it doesn't have to be guided. It doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes the guided meditations work for beginners really well because they, you know, otherwise they don't know what to do. Um, And I'll just say, you know, do the breathing meditation. If you just breathe in and breathe out and concentrate on the breath, uh, that's fine. Because like I'll say to people, you clear your cache on your computer, right? Every day or every night you clear it and you get ready for the next day so the information flows really well because if you don't, you know, clear your cache, you have problems. So it's the same thing with your brain and, and your, you know, your consciousness. Clear it out and, you know, you'll function much better. So um, you don't have to be a, a guru. <laughs> so, no. Uh, yeah, no. I find people complicate their lives, you know. Yeah, and if you're trying to find, trying to follow some kind of routine, or master something that is difficult for you, it's probably not the right thing to do when you're trying to incorporate something in your life for relaxation for yourself. It should be something that resonates with you, something that you're comfortable doing, and whatever time you take for yourself, it should be time that you're comfortable taking. So some, it may not be the same amount of time every day, but as long as we do it and if we feel ourselves getting depleted, that we step back. Because it's the most difficult thing to learn, but you do learn, especially as, as a practitioner, you learn that if you're not whole yourself, you're not really good for anyone else. And you will feel that and you will also feel some level of resentment at times if you're not really 100% and you're giving and giving. It really does help a lot when you take care of yourself. It really does, and it helps your clients as well because they can see that you're walking the walk. They can see that you're doing these things yourself, and they can see the benefits. You always want to follow someone that you think is doing what what they're telling you to do yourself. Exactly. And one thing I've noticed, well, I've noticed a lot of things in the the latter half of of 2015, is that if you're doing something that you're supposed to be doing, it's going to resonate with you in a way of there's no obstacle. You just start doing this and you see that even if it's something new that you're trying, you just see that it flows and it's going, the energy is going along smoothly. And it's easy. It really is. You find it to be easy. Whereas if you're doing something and you have all these obstacles and things are just not going right, um, you're not supposed to be doing that. It's like I said to someone the other night, um, life is a series of turns. It's like you go along, you go along, and you hit a wall. It's like, oh, this isn't working. Okay, turn right or left, and then go along, go along. And when you see the road is open and you just keep going, then you know you're doing the right thing and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and what the universe wants you to do. Yes. But I feel that it's human nature. We fight it. You know, we want to do what we want to do. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. And we think that we need to do and do and overdo. And we and we think that we have to continue to do for other people. And we have to really realize that we have to do for ourselves as well. And we have to create right. some kind of balance. And those, right. that's easier said than done, but it is what we need to do. 
And that's the other thing. Yeah, it's it's really all about balance. That's really what it's all about, balance. And, my God, you know, on my path, learning patience was hard enough. It's like, oh, and now you want me to balance that? <laughs> The Reiki helps with that, I think. The Reiki helps, yes. So you are an end-of-life doula. Explain that because I'm very interested in that. Okay. An end-of-life doula is someone that, that as, it, as it says, assists someone at the end of their life. And it could be someone that's going, that's passing in a few months, in a few weeks, in a few days, whatever the situation is, an end-of-life doula is someone that helps someone prepare for their death. And what that means is it really helps the person um, say what they want to happen in the weeks or days leading up to their deaths and even, most importantly, at the time of their passing. It really is someone that helps the person and their family through the death process with dignity. There are some people that are end-of-life doulas. There's a program in the city where the doulas actually will go and sit with people who are sick and dying and read to them and keep them company and help while the families run errands and so on. And then there are end-of-life doulas, the way I was trained, that actually work with the person who's, who's dying and the families to actually set up everything right down to a vigil for the person when they're dying, who they would want to be with them, how they want things set up, what are the things that, everything that honors the person, which is really the most beautiful thing because you're helping somebody to die with dignity and you're fulfilling their wishes. Most of the time when someone gets really sick and then hospice is brought in and maybe someone starts to be medicated, the family is scrambling trying to figure out, well, I I think she would want to listen to this music or I think she would want this or she doesn't really like that person. I don't think she would want that person here. But you're trying to do the best for this person, but they don't always know. And sometimes people forget and then there's a lot of conflicts and so on. The end-of-life doula really helps that person to whatever degree they want prepare for their death and to have that time the way they want it if they want music played as they're passing, if they want pictures shown, if they want certain people with them, right down to the letter of some people will say that, you know, in in what seems to be my last day, I want to be surrounded by my family. But in my last, when it's coming down to my last hours, I want my spouse and my children there. And when it looks like I'm going to take my final breath, I just want my spouse there. Whatever the situation may be, the do is there to help facilitate this because it's too emotional for the families to do that. The do is also there to help the families because there are things that family members can do so that they don't have regrets afterwards. So the doula really is a person that, again, does that act of listening and then sits back because and lets the whole family or friends do what they need to do, but the do is there to help pace things, to be able to say, you know, time is coming close, you know, it's time for us to do this or whatever the case may be. It's a really beautiful thing, and when I did my training, we did so much so to, to the detail of actually sitting down and writing our own vigils so that we can really understand what it would be like to do that for someone else. So we really went down to the letter of saying what we would want in our final days and hours and how we would want to be honored. And it's a really beautiful thing to do for someone and also for not to have regrets after the person passes. And it's, it again goes back to that, like we talked about earlier, the act of listening. One of the main... Um, books that really pulls the whole process together. The name of the book is is Stay Quiet and Do Nothing. And it really teaches mm-hmm. you how to do that, to hold space for someone, which helps in any holistic practice that you have. When I did my training, one of the things that um, someone remarked at the end of the training was that I, I thought I came here to, I was coming here to find out how to help someone die. And I really feel through this course, I got a lesson in how to live. And I think that's what what being an end-of-life doula really does for someone. 
I've put together my own course in the key things that I that I felt I was trained in that I think that would help people, even people that don't want to go and do this service for other people, but have older parents or know that at some point they're going to be present for someone that, that's dying and they want to play a more active role or they want to be more helpful or they don't want to have regrets and they want to know some of the things that they can do. So I put together a course which I'm going to be teaching later on this year to help people on that. We learn just very simple massage techniques to bring energy down, to comfort people, just you know what what just the what just what the touch can do for someone basically and how as a doula to do that in a non-invasive way but to really offer that comfort to the person and and mainly help them pass with dignity and that's really what the role of an end-of-life doula is that's interesting yeah because i had always heard of birthing doulas but i didn't know yeah. there was an end-of-life uh life doula and you know, you learn something new all the time. Oh yeah. Uh, I had a friend whose mom was she she was passing, she wasn't passing, she was passing. She, I mean, my poor friend was tearing her hair out, and oh. um, the bottom line was, her mother was so afraid of dying. She had such a fear of death; it was like palpable. And I had another friend who works in hospice and she said to me now tell your friend what she has to do is tell her mother reassure her that once she's no longer here that you know she'll take care of the family and make sure that everyone is cared for and that you know like the mother shouldn't feel that she has to stay because no one's there to take care of the rest of the family you know and this woman had she was so um uptight about that and worried about that plus the fear of dying it was like oh god but um so with that suggestion i said to my friend go do this you know and she did it and another couple of weeks after she said yeah but she she's just not releasing and i said well tell me something when you talk to your daughter about your mom and you talk about her going and her dying and you know, your mom has dementia, Alzheimer's, but she's not like totally out to lunch. She's not totally deaf. She's hearing your conversations. And what's happening is that's scaring her all the more. So um, what happened was she made sure after that if she was going to discuss the mother's condition or the mother's passing, and she did it well out of earshot. And about two weeks later, the mom did release and and cross over. But... um, yeah, it's just uh, like you said. You know, it's all about listening, and it's all about um, you know being present and and having your your wits about you and being mindful about the situation too. Yeah, that's true, and just a lot of things that happen as a person's passing that people are not aware of, and in the role of a doula will also be just to remind the family that although the person is not speaking is not reacting, they hear you. Because sometimes people have conversations in the room that they shouldn't have because then they lose sight of the fact that the person can hear them because the person is not reacting, is not speaking. There's just so many things that an end-of-life doula can help to facilitate with. And also sometimes people will tell you as that outsider things that they won't even tell a family member, especially if it's a parent passing and their main concerns are about their children. They're not going to say certain things to their children that they might say to the doula, and then the doula can help facilitate those things. So a lot of those things are very important. And sometimes just in a process, as much as you want to do things a certain way, people take over and things happen, and a doula is there to help that. Um, there was a family that after the person passed, one of one of the wishes that they had was that once the person passed, for them not to be removed from the house right away, that they wanted to spend time with the person. But as hospice and all are instructed, these are the calls you make, this is what you do. So these wishes were expressed to the doula. And the you know, and the patient wanted her family's wishes honored. So the doula is there to facilitate 
giving the family that time. There's all, you know, a lot of different things, that roles that the doula will play. And it really is up to the family and the doula, the comfort level, but that is really the role of a doula, to be there and to actively be there up until the time the person passes and then to spend some time with the family and then to connect with the family a few weeks later to go back over some things and to bring closure, and that's that's the role of an end-of-life doula. Right, right. Well, I'm going to take a very short break, uh, and we will be back momentarily with Lisa Wolfson. Okay. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> The Heart Truth is a campaign sponsored by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute to raise awareness about heart health. One thing that everyone can do to support heart health is to get moving. Health and fitness expert Dr. Pamela Peake says that small steps can lead to big benefits. Throughout the day, just get up and move more. Park your car in the farthest parking spot. Find any excuse to walk as you live your busy life. The key to heart health is regular physical activity and a balanced diet. I help get my patients educated and motivated to stay active every single day. That's why I'm behind the Heart Truth campaign and those who partnered with it, like Diet Coke. Join them this month as they work to educate, inspire, and motivate by visiting dietcoke.com slash hearttruth. This is Annie Lennox of Eurythmics for RAD. Please don't drink and drive. And don't drive if someone else has been drinking. Thank you. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Ristita De Jesus. And I'm Robert Deal. We're the founders of the Seika Network on Blog Talk Radio, and you're listening to Violet Reiki Radio. You're listening to Violet Reiki Radio on the Seika Network through blogtalkradio.com with your host, Reiki Shihan Rose Jimenez, your source for all things Reiki in love, light, and healing. Okay, we are back. And we are speaking with Lisa Wolfson. Lisa, um, tell us a little bit about you doing Reiki in the OR and this project that we have going on with Raven and Dr. Feldman, the the medical Reiki um, certification. And I I think this is great. So um, where are we with this? Um, well, first of all, medical Reiki is, as as it says, it's doing Reiki for people um, during surgery and actually all aspects, pre-op, post-op, during surgery, even going to chemo treatments with people or doctor's appointments, anything that helps um, them to facilitate on their journey and through their healing. Um, we have a medical Reiki Facebook group, obviously. We have um, currently several medical Reiki practitioners trained just in this year alone, and we have a registry, and we are going to begin an internship program um, probably later on this month or early February in which um, medical Reiki masters will start to get some experience in the OR so they can see firsthand what what's done. They can put their training to use and get comfortable with it because being in the OR is definitely an experience like no other. And it's really important to validate that um, that you really want to be there and that you're comfortable to be there. You can have the desire to be there, but 
being in the OR is definitely an, an experience, and you have to be prepared and ready for that. So our training does prepare us, and the internship program will give those medical Reiki masters an opportunity to be in surgery. We um, currently are um, getting all, all things set up. Raven is working um, diligently on opportunities for all the medical Reiki masters and the training. There's training going on all around the world. It is, as you know, Rose, very, very exciting. Being oh, yeah. in the OR is amazing. And most importantly, it is what what you're giving to to the patients that is is really amazing and beneficial. You're there for them at a at a time that they are most vulnerable, at a time when family members are very emotional, trying their best. But obviously, you're there just for the patient. And in the OR, and as Dr. Feldman has said. The, re- the medical Reiki master is the person that's there solely for the, pace pers- for the patient. They're commissioned by the patient. Their purpose is just to be there for the patient while everyone else has their specific function to perform. And as I've seen, and I know you've heard, Rose, there are so many benefits. Besides the calming benefit, besides all the other things that Reiki can add, we also do Reiki for family members in the waiting areas, helping them through this process. But for the patients themselves, there are very tangible results as well. One of the surgeries I went into that I, is one of my most um, rewarding experiences, besides, of course, being in surgery with Raven first and foremost, but one of the surgeries that I went in, which was a double mastectomy, um, procedure and a very long, tedious procedure mapped out at first turned out to be a whole day event, very, very long. And after the procedure was over, the surgeon came over to me and said to me, you know, I don't know very much about this Reiki stuff. He said, but I will tell you that having you in the OR really made a difference. There was really something different going on here. He said, just the way everybody was reacting, he said, myself included in such a difficult surgery, he said, I don't usually stay that calm, but I did. He said, but most importantly, when we're operating for such long periods of time, the skin gets cold and gets progressively colder and stays that way. And as the skin is so cold, it's very hard to work with. He said, but I noticed, and the plastic surgeon noted, that the skin heated up early on in the process and stayed warm throughout the day. He said, and I have to think that that was attributed to whatever it is that you're doing because that's never happened before. So, and he he thanked me for that. And I thought that was a really big tribute to the Reiki. That was hope in that way, in a positive way. And for this um, patient to be under, under anesthesia for several hours in a prolonged surgery and have so much go on in that day and in recovery shortly after be awake, responding, minimal pain and up and about the next day, the doctors also remarked that it wasn't the recovery that they that they expected. As they also said with Raven's surgery, how quickly she recovered as well. So really, we really attribute that to the Reiki. So we're on this, definitely on this movement to bring it to more and more people, to bring it more and more mainstream, because um, as we say, everybody should have that opportunity to have Reiki, to give themselves every opportunity to heal quickly, effectively, and to have someone there just for them. And as you know, Rose, we talked about in our training, there's so many different things that we do beyond just being there channeling Reiki. We do, similar to what we just talked about for the doula, we can help the person set up things the way they want. If they want something said before they go to sleep for their surgery, if they want to enter the room a certain way, one of the clients that I went into surgery with didn't want to walk into the operating room through that steel door in in such a cold way. 
So she wanted to stop, reflect, and picture that door turning into white light and that she was passing through in a way that nothing bad could happen. So when we went to enter the operating room, that's what we did. We stopped, we reflected, we pictured that door turning into a white light, her passing through it, and all those things helped her. She was, she was very much afraid, very much alone, but those things helped her. So this is what we do as medical Reiki masters. We do whatever we need to do to help our clients and to give them the best possible opportunities for healing and for comfort and anything else that we can provide. Mhm, mhm, definitely, yeah, and yeah, the training um actually being in the o r is something that's very important because I have a friend who is a cardiothoracic surgeon, and he said to me, You know, people don't realize that in as much as an anesthesiologist's job may appear boring, he said, but those people he said they go from being um tediously bored to tears to within a split second they have to make a decision based on life and death because there's always changes and um so yeah you have to be mindful of if if you're doing reiki and you're just like vegging out and something happens and that anesthesiologist has to get to something or do something or you know clear the decks, as they say, and and you have to be responsive and you have to be aware. And I I believe that just comes with practice. You have to be put in that situation, see how it works, and and then, you know, because if you have someone who is, you know, all up in their ego, say they want to, like, kind of, what's the word, Um, get into it with the anesthesiologist, well, I'm here doing Reiki, it's like, no, 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 no. No, <laughs> yeah, so, no. Yeah, no we're, we're, there for the, we're, we're there for the patient, and that has to be our focus. Right, right. So, um, well, I know Raven is making great strides with this, so this is a oh, wonderful, yeah. this is a wonderful project, and it really is all happening now, and, mm. um, uh, Things are just, I really feel that 2016, things are just going to get better and better. And the further we can take this, the better it will be. Oh, yes. We, it definitely will be. It's every it's something that everyone should have and everyone should have knowledge of, and that's really the focus, bringing it more and more mainstream, bringing it more and more to people's consciousness because everyone should have have the right to choose this because it really it really is beneficial to the patients. It really is. And I think for um, all the people that are dedicating themselves to this, all the medical Reiki masters, it's a, it's a very, very rewarding, uh, it's a very, very rewarding experience. And with all the work that's done and with Raven moving fo- forging forward, we're going to have more and more opportunities to do this, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like in your bio, I derive great joy and fulfillment from helping others. Yes. Uh, and, and that's the same thing for me. I mean, um, I just, you know, I know a lot of people, they, they you know, they make money and making good money is, is a wonderful thing. But as far as I'm concerned, if I've helped someone and, and got them to where they need to be, that to me is the greatest gift and the greatest blessing than any amount of money could ever be. Oh, definitely. That's yeah. Definitely. Definitely. This is great. So uh, we are coming up on the 92nd minute mark, whatever. Is there anything else that you would like to let the public know, anything that's important to you, how to get in touch with you, that kind oh, of good sure. stuff? Oh, sure. Well, they can get in touch with me, obviously, through you, Rose, if they wanted. They can reach yeah. out to me. On um, Facebook, it's under Lisa Marini Wolfson, or they can even they can definitely call me, text me. It's very that I'm always always um, checking my phone. It's five one six four five six five two four eight. Not a problem to give it out, or they can email me, and it's Reiki with L Wolfson at gmail dot com. But anyway, any way that um, works for them, they can get in touch with me. I'm glad to help. I'm glad to teach anybody or offer any assistance in any way. 
So whatever, whatever works. All right, great. Well, we've been, it was enjoyed enjoy. having you on the show. Thank oh, you thank so you. much. And uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Yes. And um, I wish you a beautiful new year with lots of abundance in the areas of joy and health and wealth and happiness. Same to you and everybody. All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Okay. Bye. Good night. Bye. Good night. Thanks, everybody, for listening and those of you in the chat room. And um, see you all next week. Have a lovely day.